This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 145, Comic Reviews for the week of Wednesday, February the 12th. Welcome to episode 145 of the Comic Shenanigans podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman, and today we're taking a look at the releases uh, for the week of Wednesday, February the 12th, and reviewing them. Uh, unfortunately, this episode is going up a little bit later than I would have originally ex- uh, hoped for. Uh, it's going out on Wednesday, the 19th of February. Um, there's a little bit of delay this week because uh, for those who are in Canada, or in specific places in Canada, uh, we actually celebrated our family day holiday on Monday, um, which sounds like a made-up holiday because it is. It's only been around a few years uh, where everyone gets a day off, and that means no podcasting on such days. Anyways, so I'm going to get into uh, this week's releases. Um, now, some good stuff came out. Now, one little bit of note. I know that the audio is not uh, as high quality for this episode, unfortunately, just based on where I'm going to record the podcast. But uh, the next episode should be back in uh, the regular fidelity that you're used to hearing the show uh, recorded in. Uh, the first book that we're going to take a look at this week is none other than Peter David and Carmine Gid. Uh, DJ Domenico, man, I have problems with that name sometimes. Uh, their work on X Factor number three. Um, first of all, just the cover. It's a very striking cover, partially because of the colors they've been using for the last few covers. Like, they're very eye catching. Um, I like the all new X Factor trade dress. Um, I like having the, the character kind of in the middle holding some cats. Uh, and I also like how they have a quote from the issue on the cover, uh, which in this case is, Let me go first, Lorna. I'm the freaking king. When he's holding the cats, it kind of makes you wonder, is Gambit king of the cats? Um, so the book is very enjoyable. Um, it's definitely a different type of X-Factor compared to the, um, the detective agency one that Peter David had been doing for the last, what, like almost 10 years. Um, and I, I like that it is a different entity, but Peter David's still the same. Uh, it's still got a sharp wit. Uh, the book starts with Havoc and Quicksilver kind of uh, having a chat because Havoc is obviously worried about Lorna. Um, and then you go back to Servile Industries and we see a little bit more of how Gambit and Polaris are kind of settling in and also the idea that Polaris is very mentally unbalanced at the moment. I like that Gambit's being used as our vantage point character. Um, he's a tough character to, to nail down. Obviously, he just had an ongoing series that didn't work out so well and got canceled. So I like that he's kind of the foreground character here for Peter David to explore. Um, and I, mean, I like the idea here that, you know, Serval gets involved because someone hacks their their system. So they send out this new version of X-Factor to kind of investigate. I'm intrigued that so far we only have three members of the team. Obviously, that's probably going to change. Um, but I kind of like that that's how it is so far. You just have Gambit, Polaris, and Quicksilver, which is kind of a, an interesting um, The investigation leads them to basically where the Thieves Guild uh, is headquartered. Uh, and obviously, I, I guess I missed something at some point, but Gambit's now their king. Uh, not just their leader, but their king. They discover uh, the remains of Danger, who I've wondered for a while where she really is. So she's kind of been uh, taken and abu- kind of abused by... Um, the Thieves Guild, and now she's set up for a fight against the other members of X-Factor. So maybe she'll be one of the new members. I'm actually blissfully unaware of other members who might be on the team because I haven't been paying attention to a lot of the potential spoilers or solicitations. I've just been really enjoying the book. Um, so maybe she'll be a member of the team. I mean, that definitely a, a different counterbalance to the existing three members we already have. But I'm really enjoying this book. It's a solid read. The artwork's fantastic. I give it a solid 8 out of 10. Um... Next up is 
uh, all new X-Men 23. Uh, we're not quite at the actual trial of Jean Grey yet, but we're getting closer. Uh, certainly more than Chapter 2 was. Uh, I like the cover too. It's very, it's a, it's a great look. It's, you know, Jean on trial. She's kind of awashed in light. Um, I like that it's kind of the, the, the pink the pink light as well. It's interesting that I didn't realize this was a five-part storyline, so, you know, I feel like we're moving a little slow considering it's five parts, and this is part three already, but uh, here we have uh, the X-Men getting acquainted with the Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, they find out more about why Jean Grey's been abducted because of the crimes she committed or could have committed or committed, but not technically her, but a version Jean Grey has. Uh, they're trying to figure out how they're going to break into Shi'ar space uh, to deal with this. The Shi'ar kind of fight against them. Uh, they get their asses saved by none other than uh, the Star Jammers. And then you also have uh, Oracle kind of questioning and, and uh, drilling uh, Jean Grey and informing her of why she's been captured. And on the last page, we find out that, oh, look, Corsair is actually alive. He's not actually dead, which is kind of a big deal, um, considering, you know, we haven't heard of him being alive at all. As far as I'm concerned, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I thought he was still supposed to be dead. That being said, so was Peter Quill, and that's never really been addressed that uh, that adequately. Uh, also, I guess Corvus is there. I'm wondering how he got reaffiliated with the rest of the Star Jammers uh, from where he last time we saw him, which was a while ago. And also, I guess Hepzibah, I don't even know... I don't remember when she went back out into space, but apparently Corsair is back being alive, and then obviously is leading into the fact that, wait a minute, if he's alive, that means Scott's dad is alive. Scott doesn't realize his dad is, is a space pirate. This is a big deal, and this will obviously lead into what we've recently heard is going to be an upcoming Cyclops solo series with, I guess, him in space. I'm a little worried when more writers besides just Bendis are playing in the space of using... Uh, the original X-Men, so that makes me a little worried, but for the most part, Bendis does do a good uh, good job in writing the issue here. The artwork by Eminem remains fantastic as always. As much as it's a little slow, I still give it an 8 because it's a solid and enjoyable read. Um, probably the most enjoyable I've found the Guardians for a while. Uh, next up is Avengers number 26. Uh, this was... I'm trying to remember. It's kind of a different style storyline. It definitely fits LaRocca's artwork a little bit more um, so this is more kind of finding out more about what AIM has been doing uh, in terms of getting these alternate reality versions of these characters into our prime reality and what's happening up there. Uh, how they create... Also, I like how AIM creates these new adaptoids that are based on the Avengers, uh, although things don't necessarily go that well for the adaptoids. Um, and how in the current present... Current present, that's a stupid term... Um, Maria Hill is trying to figure out what this dead body of a Hank Pym is all about and uh, in, in questioning the Avengers to do so we see a little bit more of the uh, the adaptoids um, in the present and we're also dealing with again these rejects from another reality uh, and we get to see I guess a, a, an upcoming banner on banner um, uh, meeting as well so I mean this was actually pretty good it wasn't the strongest in terms of the art uh, the story meandered at times, but it had some interesting ideas and concepts. I like it enough to give it maybe a 7, but not much higher. Uh, then we have Batman 28. So finally we're back, not even in the present, but now we're in the future, uh, getting a glimpse of Batman Eternal. It's a weird way to do it by having it take place in the middle of this other storyline that hasn't happened yet. Um, it kind of more feels like they fell behind and they decided to come up with something to kind of be as a fill-in, but maybe a fill-in that will feel more important. 
Uh, it's written by Scott Snyder and James Tinney in the fourth with artwork by Dustin Wynn. Um, I didn't like this all that much. I mean, there's been a lot made of the fact that, spoiler, kind of makes your first New 52 appearance technically in this book. Harper Rowe is now the, the sidekick of Batman. I forget her costume name. Um, we're seeing them. She's using some sort of gun, which I don't really like. Uh, I, I, I guess we'll have to see how this whole Batman Eternal storyline goes, how Catwoman becomes this kingpin of crime. Um, so far, not a huge fan. Uh, interesting that spoilers kind of at the at the core of everything that's like going on in the storyline, but it just felt like an extended preview for the Batman Eternal storyline as opposed to really being anything more than that. Um, so I wasn't a huge fan by any means. Um, I think as a rating, I'll give it maybe a I don't know a six. I mean, the artwork was all right. The story was it just it didn't really grab me as much as I was hoping it would. I heard a lot about it going into the book, but then when I finally read it, I found myself let down. Uh, next up is Forever Evil Rogue's Rebellion, number five. I feel like I missed a couple issues. This is written by, by uh, Brian Bucciolato, artwork by Scott Hepburn, who's got a, actually a nice style. And I believe, let me just check the credits again. Uh, the colors are by Nick Nick Filardi, which I actually found surprising because at times it almost looks like Bucciolato's style of colors. Uh, here we have the Royal Flush Gang fighting against uh, the Rogues. Um, the Rogues kind of then uh, what's his name Johnny Quick and Atomica show up and then they disappear and so the rogues have to fight against uh, some some backup villains including Grodd etc who show up on the last page not the strongest book I'm going to give it maybe a 6 uh, I liked it probably more than a little bit more than I would have expected but it's still a little bit light on content for me uh, and I, I don't necessarily feel like it's going to matter to the overall Flash story but I could be completely wrong and then I have to re- kind of redact that comment uh, we have Green Lantern Corps 28, and this is uh, sorry, 6 out of 10 for Forever of the Rogue's Rebellion. Uh, Green Lantern Corps 28 by Van Jensen and artwork by Bernard Chang. Uh, I really like the artwork. I, I really enjoyed Chang's uh, take on it as they're looking for, uh, I forget his name now, but one of the Durlins who used to be a member of the Corps. Uh, they're trying to get him to assist them against the Durlins who have kind of declared war on the Green Lantern Corps. You have uh, John Stewart and Balfunga and uh, I think someone else going after this character to kind of lure him over to their side to become one with the green again. Um, and then, um, what's her name? Serenic Natu gets abducted by a character that we find out at the end is Arkillo. Um, I actually enjoyed this a little bit more than I thought I would. Um, you know, I'm not a huge fan of what the core books, the uh, Green Lantern books are doing these days, but I don't know, this was actually fairly interesting. I like that Bullfunga is kind of teaming up with the Lanterns as well. Uh, I give it a 7 out of 10. Uh, next up is Justice League of America, number 12. I've been really harsh in this book for the last few issues, just because it was a, it felt like a lot more of the same. Uh, here, instead, we have Stargirl trying to play and also kind of remembering part of her origin. Uh, so it's a really strong Stargirl story as uh, she tries to help Martian Manhunter going up against Despero. Uh, we see a little bit more of Martian Manhunter's history as well which is cool. Um, he almost dies. Uh, the battle against Despero is pretty badass. And um, it's unclear if for sure Marshmander actually is dead, but it would appear to be here. But he's died before and come back from that, so who knows. Matt Kent does a fairly good job in here. Eddie Burrows on artwork. Again, I think this is probably the strongest issue of JLA we've seen in a while. 
just because it felt less of a rehash of previous issues and more of a, a solid piece of character work on Stargirl and on Martian Manhunter. So I give it an 8. Um, pretty good rating so far, nothing below 6. Uh, next up is Nightwing 28. Um, we're getting to the end of Nightwing's run. We, Kyle Higgins writing it with Russell Darderman on artwork. Um, it kind of reminded me of Eddie Burroughs at times. Um, kind of, you have uh, Nightwing move up against a shape-shifting villain. Uh, who I don't even remember what happened in the last issue. Um, see more of Dick and Tony Zuko's daughter and kind of that relationship or potential relationship going on. Um, got Mr. Zaz as well. Uh, being involved in the story, although he looked kind of extra crazy. I'm going to give it a six. Not the strongest issue. I did like the Eddie Burroughs artwork, but the story at times could be a little bit stronger. Uh, next up is Secret Avengers number 15. Uh, I really dug this. I mean, this is what, I think the second last issue until it's over, which I'm sad about. Um, got Nick Spencer and Alice Coat writing. Alice Coat or Cot is going to be continuing to write it, so at least that's not going to change too much. Uh, Luke Ross on art, although he's going to be gone. This is some of the best Luke Ross artwork we've seen so far, I think, in this book. At times it was almost, um, maybe it was something to do with the colors, but at times it almost felt like something you would expect from uh, Diodato. Um, I really liked the uh, continuing relationship or bonding between Modoc and Maria Hill. Um, the action on AIM Island was extremely well done, very action, uh, heavy on the action, but just so thrilling. Uh, it's a suspenseful read for sure as they're trying to uh, save Mockingbird. Um, you got Nick Fury, uh, Black Widow, and Hawkeye trying to save Bobby. Um, you have Mentallo kind of getting involved in, the, in kind of a, a backroom assist. Uh, there's a lot of really good action going on here. And a great fake out at the end as well when you think that Mockingbird is shot right in like, the face and in the side it would appear. Um, tremendous artwork portraying the tenseness of the situation and how dangerous it is. And then right at the last page reveal we realize it's not actually Mockingbird who was shot. It was Yelena Belova, uh, the second Black Widow. Um, this was immensely entertaining. I gave it a 9 out of 10. So far it's... Actually, I think it's a pretty good week. I think there's only one... Maybe I think one issue that's going to go below six and everything else is six or a buyer. This is probably one of the strongest weeks I've had so far. Um, next up, we have She-Hulk number one. If you haven't read Dan Slott's run on She-Hulk, you really should. Uh, it definitely remind this issue reminded me of it. In fact, it's probably why they came, they're coming out with the uh, She-Hulk Complete Collection by Dan Slott. Uh, the first volume, I believe, just came out this past week. Uh, so this is written by Charles Sule, who apparently is a, uh, was, a, was or is a practicing lawyer himself. And the artwork is by Javier Pulido, who I absolutely adore. He's got a cartoony style, which really works for She-Hulk. Um, you have She-Hulk kind of working at this law firm, hoping to kind of get a, a good compensation and raise. And she ends up being so pissed off that she get, basically gets uh, terminated by this group. So she decides that eventually she's going to go into a business for herself. But before doing that, she takes on this case that puts her up against Tony Stark and Tony Stark's lawyer, who's a bit of a dick. Um... This is a, a really good, you know, lost legal story. And this is less about She-Hope being a superhero and more about her being a lawyer who's going to defend and help people. Uh, and it's, you know, a, a, a lawyer story set in the Marvel Universe. I mean, yes, technically speaking, Matt, uh, Daredevil can be like that, but this feels much more like that already because there's less of her being a superhero and more of her just getting to the bottom of a case and working for her client. Um 
the script was very strong. It sets up a, an excellent new status quo, and I love the artwork by Polito. I'm going to give it a, a nine. This was, I mean, I know um, I've talked with Paul Scores, who's been on the show in the past, and he was very like poo pooing this had ideas like She Hulk cares, especially with the artwork that they're previewing. I loved it. I think this is fantastic. It's not for everyone's taste, but um, for those who kind of like this style, uh, you're going to love this book. Uh, next up is Superior Spider Man 27 or as they call it in the cover, Goblin Nation number one. Uh, so this is the beginning of the Goblin Nation storyline, which is the last storyline for the uh, Superior Spider-Man title before the return of Peter Parker. Uh, and we start off with 31 Days Later, and so we're kind of seeing what's going on with since the last issue. Um, so now we have all these these gangs with you know goblin masks or... Uh, going, you know, basically taking, trying to take over New York, and they're causing havoc everywhere, and Spider-Man's kind of going nuts about it, or auto Spidey, because he can't see what they're doing, none, it's, none of it's registering on his cameras, uh, Spider-Island isn't even communicating with him, and he's seeing, like, these, on the Brooklyn Bridge, I think it's the Brooklyn Bridge, um, there's, he's got, uh, you know, everything's tagged with the Goblin's, uh, uh, mask. Uh, in the Mindscape, we have Peter kind of exploring and realizing that there's only 31 memories left, and that's all that he has to kind of that comprises who he is as Peter Parker, which is an interesting take on it. Uh, interesting to see how this will impact him coming back. However, it does kind of feel like we've seen this already in different forms, and then Peter kind of gets assimilated into some of Otto's memories and gets reborn as Otto, which is kind of weird. Um, we see Peter Parker trying to develop his... his, uh, his little spider bots and trying to figure out why he can't pick up all the sources of all the material. Uh, at Alchemax you see J. Jonah Jameson meeting with uh, Liz Allen as well as Miguel O'Hara and Tiberius Stone to see more about the, uh, the spider slayers which are going to become part of the storyline as well uh, because p- potentially Spider-Man is involved in this cover-up with Green Goblin. Um, Spider-Man goes to Uatu Jackson to try and work on the uh, these spider bots and see why they were so easily hacked. Uh, Parker Industries, you have Captain Watanabe is trying to find Pro Peter, and no one seems to know where Peter is, which is interesting as well. Uh, Peter finds himself, uh, Auto Peter, finds himself face to face with the Green Goblin, who has a lot of other superpower heavies around him. Well, heavies is a, is a light term when it looks like there's Killer Shrike and the Ringer and the Unicorn and uh, some weird villains. Anyways, then he kind of dismisses all of his superpowered assistants, sits down at the table and has Peter, uh, sorry, Spider-Man sit down with him, and he reveals that he knows that he's Otto because of this journal from Carly Cooper, and they're having this conversation, and he's asking Otto to kind of join him, and uh, Otto's like, you know, I'm, I'm no one's second, I'm better than I was, I'm Spider-Man now, I'm going to beat you, this will be my finest hour, and then he gets blast, uh, Spider-Man gets blasted by Green Goblin. Then he realizes, wait a minute, he's actually using the technology from the stunner, uh, the the holographic interface. So he wasn't actually there to begin with, because uh, he thought he might be, uh, you know, lured into a trap. And so he's like, you know, I've been at this longer than you. I'm better than you. And then Green Goblin's like, you know what? There's secret layers for a reason. And then he has all of his forces attack Spider-Man and basically blow it up. Uh, this is one hell of a first chapter. There's a lot going on here. You have the Captain Watanabe storyline still going on. You have the Goblin Nation really taking play, uh, really taking over. Uh, you have Spider-Man kind of thinking he's smarter, but then still being out-actioned by the Green Goblin. Uh, this is immensely entertaining book. Uh, I'm going to be sad to see this book go, but uh, fantastic, fantastic work. 
Um, I really like Dan Slott's work here, and Kevin Coley just knocked it out of the park. I gave it a 9 out of 10. Yes, I've given three nines in a row, but I just can't help it when it's been such a great book. Um, then we have Superman Wonder Woman, number 5. I don't think I've read every issue of this. I know I read the last issue. I really like this. Um, Charles Soule writing, uh, Tony S. Daniel on artwork. Uh, really fantastic artwork. I mean, you start with uh, Wonder Woman returning to Amaz- to uh, the Amazon, I guess, the mascara. Uh, There's a really great shot of her kind of, you know, just taking off her boots and being part of the, the island again and walking around barefoot. Uh, she's talking to her to her mother, uh, which is a really strong material. And then we flash back to Superman going up against uh, the monster that uh, Zod has released when he released uh, Feora. Um, part of what I, I really enjoy about this issue is the artwork. I think it's just absolutely crystal clean. Uh, some of the best work that Tony Daniels done in a while. Um, the writing's pretty good too with uh, you know, Fiora tra- struggling to even remember who she is and fighting against Zod and once she finally remembers then you have Superman going up against the two of them uh, then you have Cyborg getting in touch with uh, Wonder Woman and having her basically head to the, uh, the fight so that she can help Superman as it's going up against two Kryptonians um, and it's just such a cool battle to see Wonder Woman against Fiora, Zod against Superman um, you just kind of see how that works and uh, I like how Superman's like you know, uh, no one dies sorry, not him uh, they, they let them escape at the end of the issue and then no one dies and uh, Wonder Woman says this is not a loss this is a strategic, strategic retreat no one dies, not today so I like that she's still being portrayed as someone who will make the, those tough decisions if she needs to I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10 um, this book, I think a lot of people expected it to not be very good, and I think it's been a pleasant surprise for most people. Uh, and Tony Daniel, again, is doing some of the best work I've seen from him in a while. Uh, next up is Winter Soldier Bitter March number 1 by Rick Remender. Um, I did not know what to expect from this book, and it was, it was just fantastic. Roland Boshi, or Boshi does the art. I really don't really remember ever seeing his name before. It's got a very 60s, kind of Starenko-ish feel in the artwork, as you have... Mostly, it's just a Nick Fury story. It's Nick Fury and Agent Ran infiltrating Castle Hydra. Uh, I believe this is... What year is this? 1966. So they're working for S.H.I.E.L.D. as agents. Um, so they're infiltrating this Hydra base. and then, uh, Agent Ran decides he's going to do it one way. It's, it's charming, and he's going to pretend to be an agent of Hydra. And uh, Fury instead is going to go the subterfuge route. Uh, agent Ran gets, gets found out and goes up against this... Uh, this Madame Worm character uh, and then gets rescued by Nick Fury as they try to rescue these Nazi scientists who then get abducted by none other than the Winter Soldier. Uh, there's a bit of an aerial dogfight and then they all end up on the ground and um, it looks like you know they're trying to get these, these scientists back um, with them and out of the country and they have now they have the Winter Soldier on their tail. I love the covers for this book, both issues 1 and 2, the covers are on this in this uh, title. Uh, it's very trippy, very, again, kind of 60s, um, what, I, what did I say his name was, Stranko-ish feel. Absolutely love this. Uh, this was such a great book. I'm going to give this a, man, another 9. This is a great, great week for comics because I've loved almost everything or liked them a lot. Uh, next up is Wolverine and the X-Men 41. Um, this is going to give us a, a, a 6. I I mean, it, I don't know. It was all right. It was the story of how uh, 
they basically fired Toad um, and what he, how he takes it. So it's written by Jason Aaron, artwork by Todd Nock and Pepe Larraz. Um, the idea that everything that Toad did, he did for love, and he's very sad about having to leave. It's a, it's an interesting story just seeing how Toad is written. Um, and no matter what he does, like he, they're never really going to respect him. And um, I just I actually found it to be quite a fun issue. And Page Go Three is a guidance counselor now. It's just interesting to see how Page is re- reacting. And and um, I, I, the last page I really liked as well with uh, Toad rocketing off of the rocket pack. That being said, only a six out of ten because it had some strong moments, but not enough to really make it a solid read. Next up, I have left the worst for last with X-Force number one. Uh, this was not good. Um, this has been by Simon Spurrier with artwork by Rocky Kim. Uh, so the new team is Marrow, Psylocke, Cable, and Phantom X. Um, the artwork at times is still right, but I don't like the look, the new look for Marrow. Um, her being a sniper, this weird fight with Cable and this guy. I mean, they seem to go and go all over the place with Cable's age and his powers and I just I didn't like the last X-Force either one really and this issue wasn't much better um the way Psylocke's being written here I don't really appreciate either I just could not wait for this issue to be over and um yeah I just I didn't like this it was not a very solid read um it just felt like more of the same I, I don't like this version of Marrow the way she's written I'm gonna give this about a, a 4 out of 10 and being a little bit charitable there Books I did not get a chance to read this week or review include Amazing Spider-Man Movie Adaptation Number 2, Astro City Number 9, Batgirl 28, Batman Little Gotham 11, Coffin Hill Number 5, Constantine 11, Deadpool 23, Injustice Year 2 Number 2, Justice League 3000 Number 3, Kick-Ass 3 Number 6, Marvel Knights X-Men Number 4, Marvel Universe Avengers Assemble Number 5, Revolutionary War Death's Head 2 Number 1. Royals, Master of War, number one, Smallville, season 11, Alien, number three, Suicide Squad, 28, Superboy, 28, Thor, God of Thunder, 19, and X-Men Legacy, 24. Um, Now, looking ahead to the coming week, a week that's technically already happened, as I speak, these issues are hitting the stands. Uh, There's a new issue of Animal Man, Batman, 66. Uh, I'm just going to talk about some notable ones. A new issue of Harley Quinn. I doubt that'll be interesting, but I'm a little biased there. Uh, trade paperback of the, uh, I think the John Ostrander, uh, Martian Manhunter, Son of Mars uh, trade is coming out. Um, not a lot of books actually I'm really excited about from DC reading next week. Probably just Batman and Two-Face. Maybe Birds of Prey because it's part of Gothtopia. Uh, I haven't been enjoying New Guardians. I'll probably read Justice League. And that's like, that's like three books and everything else I'll probably take a pass on. Uh, image-wise, uh, Peter Panzerfaust, number 17 is coming out. Uh, Savage Dragon 193 it's uh, not a lot of releases from Image this coming week or this week uh, and then at Marvel there's A plus X 17 meh we'll see what the creative teams look like uh, Amazing X-Men number 4 of course I'm interested in that uh, Avengers World number 3 uh, Captain America 17 it's only Marvel Now issue uh, for those following the Epic Collections you have Captain America Epic Collection which is called Dawn's Early Light which is including some of the uh, way too brief Roger Stern and John Byrne run uh, you have Daredevil 36, which I think might be the last chapter of that book before it's only Marvel Now relaunch. Uh, you've got the Iron Man Annual coming out. Um, you've got, for those who like the Journey into Mystery with Kid Loki, there's the complete collection of the uh, Journey into Mystery by Gillen, Kieran Gillen run that's coming out, Volume 1. 
Uh, you have the all-new Marvel Now launch of New Warriors, which should be interesting. You have uh, Nova 13.0, uh, Punisher number 2, Savage Wolverine 15, Superior Spider-Man Team-Up number 10, which I'm interested in. And you have the new issues of Uncanny X-Men and Ejectiveless X-Men. So that is the coming week. Anyway, thank you for listening to the show this week. You can uh, contact us at comicshenanigans at gmail.com, like us on Facebook, also post in the AC Realms thread on, uh, on AC Realms, and also you can rate and review us on iTunes. And please do, uh, if you do rate and review us, please let us know, and we'll read your comment on the air. Uh, next episode will be episode 146, which I believe should be a spotlight on the Lego movie with uh, Tibor Mate. Uh, going away from that will be episode 146. Episode 148 should be a Talking Heroclix episode with Leonor Alana as we open up Superman and the Legion of Superheroes next week. And then after that, uh, the week after that will be episode 150. Not really sure what that will entail yet. Uh, and at some point I also want to talk about uh, Justice League War, um, the recent animated movie that came out from DC as well. Anyways, thank you for joining me, for Adam Chapman, for this episode. And we will catch you next time. Bye-bye.